are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We're ready to turn the page to week seven. The Seahawks sitting at last place in the NFC West with a two and four record. It's hard to think about the P word when you start off with four losses in your first six games. As Jim Mora once said, playoffs, playoffs, you kidding me? Hard to talk about that with the Seahawks going into week seven, but we're going to be looking at what it may take for them to make the postseason given this rough start and what history suggests could be the final outcome. Plus, we're going to dig into Seattle's upcoming opponent. What's new with the New Orleans Saints heading into a Monday night football matchup at Lumen Field? So let's get rolling. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. After losing in Pittsburgh on Sunday night, the Seahawks have lost four of their past five games. They're sitting at a 2-4 and four record. Last place in the NFC West. Russell Wilson's going to miss at least two more games recovering from finger surgery. Chris Carson's going to miss at least two more games. They've got a number of issues they're still trying to work out on both sides of the football. It seems like the sky is falling when you start off with a record like that and expectations were really high. This was supposed to be a Super Bowl contender coming into the year. So a lot of fans have already given up hope that the Seahawks can make the playoffs. And historically, it's understandable why, Rob, very few teams that start two and four actually make the postseason. But the Seahawks are one of the few teams that have been able to do that. And they did it pretty recently back in 2015. Yeah, and that's the thing, is that it does feel like the sky is falling down, I think, a little bit. Um, but at the same time, the, the fact that you are going up against a New Orleans Saints team that uh, you know is being led by Jameis Winston, I think that any, anybody who's been following the NFL uh, throughout Jameis Winston's career knows how inconsistent that he could be. Um, and, and then the fact that the Seahawks' next two games are at home. Now, that's not the advantage that's been in the past. The Seahawks are currently 0-2 at home, but, you know, what, if we're going to talk about statistical oddities, you know, what's the likelihood that Seattle is going to start the season 0-3 at home and then 0-2 in primetime games? So that has not been uh, – that would be 0-3 in primetime games considering the, the, the loss to the Rams as well. So that, that's not something that has happened very often in, during Pete Carroll's tenure, and so that's one of the reasons why I think that there is a better-than-average chance that the Seahawks are going to be able to surprise some of the pundits out there and be able to pull off this victory against the New Orleans Saints. You look historically, since 1978, the first year that the NFL had 16 games on the schedule, only 23 teams that have started the year 2-4 and four have made the playoffs. That's 8.8%. So while it's not Lloyd Christmas percentages we're talking about here, it's not one in a million, it's certainly not an ideal percentage for a team still hoping to make the playoffs. Now, there's a caveat here. Both leagues now have seven playoff teams as of last year. So there is an extra playoff spot, an extra wildcard spot that's available that a team like the Seahawks could finish out the year strong and earn. That's certainly a possibility. And now that we have 17 games, that kind of changes things a little bit. But nonetheless, it has not been a good start for teams that want to make the playoffs. And not very often do you see teams that open up winning just two of the first six games rebound enough that they're able to make the postseason. So the Seahawks, they've got a difficult situation they got to climb out of. But 
from their own franchise perspective, four of the last eight times that they've started two and four, they finished at least eight and eight. Two times they finished nine and seven. And of course, I mentioned 2015, they started two and four, ended up rattling off a bunch of wins and finished 10 and six, advanced to the divisional round that year in the postseason. So they didn't just make it, they won a playoff game. So it certainly is possible. It's slim odds. That was a team that had a lot of talent. That was the year Cam Chancellor held out at the beginning of the season. That really messed up things early for their defense. Lost the Rams in week one, in large part because of his replacement struggling in that particular game. So there were some different circumstances back then. But there are some parallels when you look at 2015 compared to now, Rob. The Seahawks had a bye in week nine. Well, guess when the bye is this year? It's week nine. They did have Russell Wilson in the lineup in week seven and eight. They will not have that luxury in this particular instance. But nonetheless, if the Seahawks can get back to four and four, that is going to dramatically improve their odds of making the postseason. You look statistically, this is how big the next two games are, Rob. Teams that are three and four have an 18% playoff rate since 1978. Two and five, it drops all the way down to 4.2%. Looking at the next two games, when a team starts two and six, one has made the playoffs all time. Just one team has made the postseason after starting with that record. And when you look at a three and five record, 79 teams have made it. Four and four, actually 79 was four and four record. 19 have made it with a three and five record. So you can see just how much that would improve Seattle's odds of being able to make the postseason, especially with the extra playoff spot and the extra game added on the schedule. Certainly possible, but they are going to have to play much better on both sides of the football, particularly this weekend against a Saints team that will be coming in with a 3-2 and two record and is well-coached with Sean Payton at the helm. They're they're well-coached, and they're coming off of a bye. They're, they're getting healthier while it feels like Seattle is getting you know having more and more injuries. Um, and so that is one of the huge concerns there. Um, but at the same time, again, if you're going to you know be, be mentioning these statistics, then one of the statistics that I would mention is, besides the fact that this, again, is a team that is quarterbacked by Jameis Winston, the New Orleans Saints so far won their opener, lost the second game, won the next one, lost the fourth game, won their next game. And so they are de- the definition of inconsistent, winning and losing, winning and losing. And so that trend, if it continues, would obviously be in Seattle's favor with a loss likely, statistically, to be on the horizon for the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, there's no question about that these next two games are going to be critical for the Seahawks. I, I think if they drop to two and six, that might alter when they even bring Russell Wilson back. And not that they couldn't become the second team ever to make the postseason. Having that extra playoff spot helps, but you look at the rest of the schedule they've got. They still have games. They have two games against the Cardinals in the second half. They have a game against the Packers. They have a couple of tough road games, one of them being in Washington, a team that expects to still be in the wild card hunt themselves. And that's a long trip over to the East Coast. So, The schedule is not favorable for the Seahawks this time around. Getting Russell Wilson back would certainly help. But being three and five or four and four, that would be the ideal circumstance. Winning the next two games at home, getting back to 500, and hopefully getting Russell Wilson back under center when they play the Packers in week 10 after a bye week, that would be the ideal situation. But they got to go out and they got to get the job done. They've been in a position to win a few games that they've lost and haven't been able to finish two overtime losses. They've got to figure out how to finish those games. And so this next week is going to be another opportunity against the Saints, who we're going to be talking about a lot here the remainder of the show. When we come back, we're going to look back at the last two times the Seahawks and Saints have played. It's been a couple years 
since the last matchup between these two franchises. So we'll check out the 2016 and 2019 games here on Throwback Tuesday. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode of Locked On Seahawks is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team and the away team can come to recharge. I can remember growing up always grabbing a hot, fresh cinnamon roll before going to school every single Wednesday. And of course, after training camp, two-a-day practices, we'd go grab some fries for a post-practice snack. So head to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. Did somebody say a Locked On Seahawks watch party? McDonald's, I'm loving it. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Throwback Tuesday episode, my co-host, Rob Rang. It's been a couple years since the last time the Seahawks and the Saints got together. They played at then-named CenturyLink Field during the 2019 season, and the Saints came in Without Drew Brees, he was recovering from an injury. Teddy Bridgewater was under center. The Seahawks were the favored team in that game. Unfortunately, things did not play out how Vegas envisioned. And really, even though the scoreboard of the end showed that it was a six-point loss for the Seahawks, they really got smacked around in this game. If not for two late touchdowns to make the scoreboard look a lot closer than it really was, this was a blowout in every sense of the word. The Saints just outplayed the Seahawks in all facets. Well, they they really did. I mean, the, the, the they held the Seahawks uh, to a, a very short drive to start the game, and then Deontay Harris returned a punt, fifty three yards, to silence that CenturyLink crowd um, to give the Saints a seven zip lead. Just a few minutes into the game, the Saints wound up getting a defensive touchdown a little bit later, uh, early in the second quarter, thirty three yard fumble return from Von Bell, um, and so the Saints had marched out to a thirteen seven lead. They wound up missing the the extra point um you know fast forward a little bit and, and the saints had a a 27 to 7 lead at the end of the third quarter um and so as you mentioned corbin there was two late scores by the seahawks that tightened things up but at one point it was 33 to 14 russell wilson runs in an eight yard uh touchdown with just under three minutes left and then he throws a a four yard touchdown to will disley with no time remaining on the clock that made it go down down to a one score victory for the Saints 33-27 but again the, the Seahawks have been down by double digit points for virtually the entire game they were severely outplayed in that game and I think that a lot of times when Seahawks fans think about the New Orleans Saints they think about the beast mode kind of a uh, you know the beast quake and, and those type of, of plays and, and obviously the Seahawks have had great history against the Saints when it comes to the postseason but the Seahawks have lost the last two regular season games against the Saints, and this being the latest example of that. It's only fitting that we had to splice a section of this show out now because this game really was a four-alarm fire for the Seahawks. When you give up a punt return for a touchdown and a fumble return for the touchdown in the first half, your chances of winning that game go down significantly. The Seahawks fell behind not because the offensive onslaught from the Saints, but because they gave up a defensive and special teams touchdown, very difficult to come back from situations like that. And that's where they found themselves down by 20 points in the end of the third quarter and were in a position where they needed those two touchdowns late just to make it look like it was a kind of competitive game. Because in all honesty, 
It really wasn't. Alvin Kamara was running like he had butter on him. The Seahawks couldn't tackle him. He had a touchdown rushing and a touchdown receiving. Teddy Bridgewater got hit twice the entire game. Didn't throw for over 170 yards in the game, but he didn't need to. He was able to make some completions when they needed him to. Dump the ball off to Alvin Kamara. Let him go to work. Get a few key passes to Michael Thomas. Otherwise, uh, not an overly exciting game on offense. The Saints just did what they needed to do to win in all three phases of the game. And it was one of those weird games where the Seahawks had a ton of yardage. They had more third down conversions in this game. Russell Wilson threw for over 400 yards. But again, yards can be a garbage stat. In this case, it was because they were just trying to play catch up the entire second half, slinging it all over the yard with Russell Wilson. He ran the ball a little bit, but it was way too little, way too late. The Saints had built an insurmountable lead. The Seahawks just simply did not have time to make up from. So that was a disappointing game during the 2019 season. The last time they played in New Orleans was back in 2016. And that is a game that, oddly enough, you know, you'd think we'd be talking it was Jimmy Graham's first game against his former team. There were a number of other storylines. The Seahawks came into that game with a four and one record. And yet, to me, the two biggest things that happened in that game, the first one is I remember Earl Thomas after he returned a fumble for a touchdown going up and hugging the official and drawing a flag. That was one of the first things that I remember because I just had never seen that happen. And then at the end of the game, the Seahawks are down five. This was a much more competitive one than the 2019 battle. Russell Wilson, final play of the game, is trying to get the ball to Jermaine Curse, Leads him just a bit too deep into the end zone. He gets pushed out, can't get both feet down in bounds. The Saints hold on for the five-point victory, drop the Seahawks to four, two, and one on the season. So a disappointing finish, but it was a really thrilling game that didn't have a lot of offensive fireworks, despite having Russell Wilson going up against Russ, or Russell Wilson going up against Drew Brees. Yeah. As you mentioned, it was not a, a quarterback friendly game. Uh, you know, you have two percent, you have two future hall of famers and Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, they combined for one passing touchdown uh, in that game. And that was a two yard pass from Drew Brees to, to Brandon Cooks. Um, so Russell Wilson was held out of the end zone. Um, Seattle's only offensive touchdown this game was the superstar. And I say that fairly sarcastically, Kristen Michael uh, running <laughs> in from, from two yards uh, for for a Seahawks touchdown. You mentioned a 34-yard uh, yard fumble return by Earl Thomas. And to me, that, that's one of the things that's kind of a statistical oddity about these two uh, matchup, these two games against the Saints that we're talking about here. You know, again, in, in this game in, in 2016, Seattle got a, a fumble return for a touchdown from Earl Thomas. In the 2019 loss, it was Vaughn Bell of the Saints getting a 33-yard fumble return touchdown for the Saints. So it was the defense and special teams that wound up actually becoming the huge, huge story um, in these last two games against the Seahawks and, and the Saints. And I think that, you know, from a layperson's perspective, when they think of these two teams, they're obviously going to be thinking about the quarterbacks. And that was absolutely not the case. And I think it's important to mention because I think that as we're going to be talking about in our third quarter a little bit later, uh, that is very much going to be a game, I think, this time around as well, that is going to be dictated by the defense rather than just the two quarterbacks flinging the ball all over the field. Yeah, it's going to be a weird one because we won't get to see Russell Wilson. And obviously, Drew Brees retired this offseason. So you're going to have two different starting quarterbacks out there when these teams match up on Monday night football. So when we come back, we're going to look at what's new with the Saints, how they have performed so far during the early stages of the 2021 season, their additions, departures, and some key numbers 
heading into this Week 7 matchup. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In life, we're all bound for different things. With Beachbound.com Vacation, you could be bound for adventure, bound for passion, bound for discovery, or bound for togetherness, bound for immersion, bound for rejuvenation, or you may be bound for encountering the unexpected. Personally, when I'm in a beach resort, I'm bound to end up at the poolside bar or maybe create my own taco fight. As long as I've got a good view and a good drink in my hand, I'll be as happy as can be. With beachbound.com, you can find the perfect beach vacation for you, no matter what you're looking for. What are you bound for? Visit beachbound.com today. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts they need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brands their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. Go explore their easy-to-use website to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in there. How did you hear about us, box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. It's Tuesday. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. It's time to break down the 2021 New Orleans Saints. We just had a chance to look back at the last two matchups between these teams. And as you would expect, since it's been two years since the last time they met. Both teams look significantly different, and they're going to have different quarterbacks under center. The Seahawks hoped they were going to have their same guy under center, but Russell Wilson is going to be out for at least two more games. So it's the Geno Smith show going up against Jameis Winston, two quarterbacks that came out around the same time, two highly drafted quarterbacks with plenty of physical tools, but both of them lost starting jobs. Jameis Winston was let go by the Buccaneers. Geno Smith was let go by the Jets. And both of them were in backup roles until Jameis Winston took over this year for a retired Drew Brees. So a much interesting, a much different dynamic between these two teams and what we saw a couple years ago. Let's talk what's happened, what's new with the 2021 New Orleans Saints, Rob. Biggest difference, obviously, they don't have Drew Brees under center. Jameis Winston is now the starter at quarterback, but this is a team that lost a lot of other really good players during free agency because of their salary cap issues. Yeah, that's the thing. It was salary cap issues. They're one of the reasons why they had to do a lot of promoting from within. Uh, as you mentioned, Jameis Winston was the backup, but he's played pretty well um, as he has kind of uh, taken over that spot as, as New Orleans starter. There's a lot of people who were expecting Taysom Hill to be New Orleans starter, and he is still very much part of their offense. We'll be breaking that down a little bit more tomorrow. But there were some key departures from the Saints. To me, one of the biggest ones would be along the defensive line. Trey Hendrickson being a very effective pass rusher. He is now gone. Sheldon Rankins, uh, a former first-round pick out of Louisville. He is also gone. Emmanuel Sanders, the wide receiver. Jared Cook, the tight end. This is a very different offense for the New Orleans Saints, and yet this is still a very physical, very statistically effective defense uh, for New Orleans. So, again, I think there's a lot of Seahawks fans out there who are kind of thinking that New Orleans is going to try to outscore you. 
this is a very different defensive team, defensive led team. Um, I think that the Saints are, are basically built on their defense, and it's more about their offense trying to, uh, you know, kind of win the game with by controlling the clock, controlling the ball, rather than throwing the ball all over the field the way that they used to do with Drew Brees. Drew Brees was leading the charge. Yeah, this is a different looking Saints team than the one that we've seen over the years that used to light up scoreboards with one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history and Drew Brees. James Winston's off to a pretty good start. 12 touchdowns, just three interceptions in the first five games, but they are not putting up the points that they have in the past. They're a very good defensive team, as we'll be talking about more. On the flip side, you had all these departures. And as I mentioned, this is a team, and we know the salary cap situation going down to $180 million because of the pandemic. The Saints were one of those teams that had like a bazillion dollars above the cap that they had to try to get rid of. And so it was a very difficult offseason for them. Had to let go of some really good players. Didn't do much in free agency. The only real notable addition that they made to their roster was signing linebacker Quan Alexander, who used to play for the 49ers, been with a couple other teams as well. Otherwise, they had to use the draft, as you mentioned, promoting guys from within. They did draft defensive end Peyton Turner in the first round. Third round, they drafted a corner. You and I both thought the Seahawks should have considered Pulse Nadebo, and he's got two interceptions already, and he started all five games for the Saints in their secondary. And so they've gotten some contributions from their draft class, and that has really offset a lot of those big losses that they had in free agency, and it's kept them right in the thick of things in the NFC South. Yeah, that's the thing. And, and what I mentioned before, uh, you know, is that this is a New Orleans Saints team that is getting healthier. Um, you know, one of their best pass rushers, Marcus Davenport, is expected to return for this game against the Seahawks. You, you talked about Quan Alexander, the speedy outside linebacker. He is expected to return uh, for for this game. It, possibly they're going to get uh, Teron Armstead, the, the Pro Bowl left tackle, maybe Eric McCoy, who has played both center and guard. Um, so if, if New Orleans has their, their rejuvenated offensive line ready to go, then that's all the more reason why uh, the Saints are going to probably feel pretty comfortable coming into Seattle, especially considering how much the Seahawks have struggled to get their pass rush. So to me, those are some of the critical things that while they're not true additions in terms of free agents and things of that nature, um, at the same time, with in case of Davenport, for example, he only played one game so far this season, but he already has one sack. The New Orleans Saints don't have that many sacks, um, but I do think that this is a much better defense than statistically uh, they would suggest. Well, statistics do suggest they're pretty darn good. We're going to go inside the numbers here, and I think it'd be fitting to start with the defense, Rob. They are giving up just 18.2 points per game this year. That's tied for the second fewest in the NFL. So again, this is not your father's, or you guys you could say your brother's New Orleans Saints from the last several years. They're not going to be lighting up scoreboards the same way they used to. This is an offense that's capable, but this is not a team that week in, week out, is just putting up crooked numbers on offense. But defensively, they know how to slow people down. They've got one of the best run defenses in the NFL. They are giving up 79 rushing yards per game, second fewest in the league. So they're great against the run. They're outstanding at limiting teams on the scoreboard. And that's really been the biggest difference maker for them, even though they're just 3-2 and two in the season. They have a winning record in large part because that defense has been one of the best in the league. 
It has been one of the best in the league against creating turnovers. They got 10 turnovers in just five games. Again, as we talked about before, they're coming off of their bye. And again, they, they didn't have some of their best defensive players uh, on the field for them. You, you mentioned before Paulson Adebo. He's got two picks. The safety, Marcus Williams, has two picks. The other corner, P.J. Williams, has two picks. And meanwhile, I think that Marshawn Lattimore, the quote-unquote other corner, is the best of the bunch in, in terms of just pure man-to-man coverage skills. So all of those things have to be very frightening uh, for the Seahawks. And while the, the Saints defensive numbers are spectacular, as you mentioned, just they've allowed the second fewest points, uh, you know, of all the NFL teams out there. At the same time, I, to the caveat, the, the, the positive to take away from this, from a Seattle perspective, is the, the fact that after Seattle, or excuse me, after New Orleans basically pants the Green Bay Packers in that very first week one shocker uh, against Aaron Rodgers and, and the Packers. Since then, they've gone against Carolina, the New England Patriots, the New York Giants, and the Washington football team. Those are not exactly the most explosive offenses. Now, considering that's Geno Smith, not Russell Wilson, and Seattle's own struggles offensively, then I don't. I wouldn't argue that Seattle is necessarily in a great position to score a lot of points on New Orleans, especially again given all of the the injured players the Saints are getting back. But I think that you can take a little bit of a different approach to those statistics that the Saints have because of the fact that the competition that they've been facing so far has not exactly been the league's best. This is really the biggest reason that the Saints have been as good as they have been on defense. You mentioned the teams they're playing. That has certainly helped, but they are number one in the NFL in red zone touchdown percentage. So when teams are getting inside their 20-yard line, they are better than any team in the league at turning those possessions into field goals or no points. They are not giving up touchdowns even on a third of those possessions where opponents are getting inside the 20. But when you face a gauntlet that includes Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold, and Taylor Heineke. That's probably part of the equation. Geno Smith, I guess you could throw in in same category as far as caliber of quarterback, but this is an offense that still has plenty of weapons. So the Seahawks should feel like they can move the football against this team, but it is a very good defense. They haven't had a lot of pass rushing presence. Getting Marcus Davenport back for this game would be a big boost getting after Geno Smith. Now looking at the Saints on offense, as I mentioned, this is not the offense that they have had the last decade plus with Drew Brees under center. They are not going to be putting up 35 points a game, but they still got weapons. Jameis Winston's looked pretty darn good so far in, in Sean Payton's offense. So this is a team that's still got weapons. Alvin Kamara is still back there in the backfield. Looking at them statistically, they right now are, I think maybe the one thing that's really been a game changer for them we're used to this being an offense that gets a lot of explosive plays, and that has not been the case this year for them. They have just one run of 20-plus yards in their first five games. They only have nine pass plays of 20-plus yards now. They have four of those that were 40-plus, which is tied for third most in the league. So they've been explosive in that capacity, but overall, they're near the bottom of the league and explosive plays. They've had to be more methodical moving the football, averaging just four yards per carry in the run game. So this has not been the offense we've seen that scores quickly under Sean Payton. And they've had to be a lot more methodical. They've had to score points off turnovers like they did against the Green Bay Packers in that season opener. So from that perspective, again, this is a much different team than the Seahawks are used to facing when they have played the Saints in the past. Going to be more about ball control, playing defense, mixing the run and the pass. And maybe that'll travel better than the way things used to be for the Saints in Seattle. So we'll see. But it's certainly a much different team than one that Sean Payton has coached in the past that will be coming to Lumen Field. 
Yeah, and, and a very different team than what we or what a very different quarterback than what we've been grown accustomed to with Jameis Winston. I mean, I think that was his mo is that he basically would would throw the ball up for grabs so often. And as you mentioned, twelve touchdowns, only three interceptions. That that is one of the statistics that that really kind of surprised me when you mentioned it before about their the lack of the big plays in the running game. I mean, Alvin Kamara, as dynamic of a player as he is, he has a long of twenty three rushing yards uh, in terms of his longest play uh, as a runner this year however he is also the new orleans saints leading receiver at this point and considering the fact that seattle gave up as many uh receptions as they did to Najee harris this past week if they gave up to derrick henry a couple of weeks ago in that loss to tennessee that has got to be pretty frightening from a seattle perspective because i think we all realize that what a weapon that alvin kamara is and as well as uh the dynamic talent that is marquez calloway he's got three of uh uh, of Jameis Winston's touchdowns at this point and all of the big long, uh, all the long ones. And so to me, he is one that the Seahawks cornerbacks are going to very much have to be on their heels a little bit because for a 6'2", 205-pound player, he can absolutely fly as well. So I'm really curious. I'm looking forward to our Wednesday show where we're going to be kind of breaking down some of the matchups because Callaway is definitely one the Seahawks are going to be wanting to keep an eye on. And Callaway's emergence couldn't have come at a better time for this team because they are still not going to have Michael Thomas back from injury for this game. So that's one good thing for the Seahawks. They won't be seeing the former All-Pro receiver in this game. He's not quite ready to come back from injured reserve. So no Michael Thomas, but you do have to worry about Marquez Callaway, who's put up some pretty big numbers, has shown he can be an explosive downfield threat for this offense. One last thing I want to point out, as I mentioned, this is not a team that's been getting sacks on the opposing quarterback. They rank 31st in the league in sack percentages of defense, but they also are in the top 10 right now for fewest sacks given up on offense. And Jameis Winston's been a quarterback in the past that will hold on to the football for a little while to let receivers get downfield. Hasn't been doing that quite as much in this offense, but certainly he's been a QB that's been hit a lot in his career. And the Seahawks have had their issues rushing the passer despite the injuries the Saints have had up front, especially Tron Armstead missing the last two games. They've still been able to protect their quarterback pretty well, getting the football out quickly. So that'll be something to monitor here. How does that Saints line, especially if they're still missing a player or two due to injury, how do they handle a Seahawks defensive line that's been wildly inconsistent throughout the season? Can Seattle get some pressure? And more importantly, can Seattle keep the Saints pass rushers, including Marcus Davenport, away from Geno Smith? We'll be breaking down a lot of those matchups to watch on our Wednesday and Friday shows when we look at matchups and keys to the game as always thanks for listening in you can follow me on twitter at corbin smith nfl you can follow rob at rob rang check out locked on seahawks on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and the all-new odyssey app coming up on our wednesday show as i just mentioned we do it each and every week and it's our favorite episode of the week it's matchup wednesday we're going to be looking at matchups when the seahawks are on offense and defense going up against the saints on monday night football as always a lot of really intriguing matchups between two well-coached teams that are looking to stay in the playoff hunt in primetime. As always, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.